Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Welcome, I'm Ross Lauder, your host from Single Focus Talent, and I'm joined by our non-exec director, John Quigley, today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. On this episode, we are speaking with Rene Longren at Neural. We're excited to have him on the uh, show because they really exemplify digital collaboration. He's their director of Europe, um, which is seeing great strides, particularly in this new world we're experiencing post-coronavirus um, with a, a definite bent towards uh, working from home today and what that means in organizations and how to do it really effectively, not just talking about it. So welcome to the show, uh, Rene. Thank you, Ross. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, let's dive right in. Um, I think, uh, you know, what's, what, what I'm always curious about, curious about to learn in the beginning is, you know, t- take us through your career journey. Like, what were the steps you took in the um, beginning? I know you're obviously originally from Sweden, now living in a much sunnier climate down in, in, in Barcelona in Spain. So really walk us through that journey. What were some of the inflection points and, and decisions you took? And, and why are you so passionate about what you're doing right now, if you would? Yeah, absolutely. So I, for a very long time, would probably um, define myself as someone that would go the entrepreneurial path to, to create uh, a project or, or even a company around my passions and things that I cared about. And um, started out pretty early on in media, uh, discovered the internet in early in Sweden around 96 and, and built an internet agency um, and did quite a few projects in the media uh, digital media space eventually. Um, in the late 90s, I felt that maybe it was time to downshift. That was at least my thinking at the time and uh, switch lifestyle. And I met someone who uh, spoke very well about Barcelona and uh, I thought, yeah, maybe maybe that's what where I should go. I at the time felt that there was something within me that uh, wanted to, I guess, switch a little bit the perception of time, right? So time in uh, a, a Nordic country is quite different from the perception of time in uh, a more Latin or Southern country. Um, so I went for that, moved to Spain, uh, continued for about another year uh, working for a digital agency in, uh, in Barcelona. Uh, but my passion at the time was to discover the city and um, um, be at the right place at the right time. And that led me to eventually start an editorial a publishing company, which I ran for about 15 years. Uh, we grew to uh, around 20 cities across Europe mainly. And the one thing that I realized during that journey was how, you know, leadership for me was, I guess at the time, very much about being passionate and having a vision and um, you know, seeing something that maybe others didn't, and you know, pursuing that relentlessly. Uh, but the downside was that I didn't feel that I did very well as a manager. That led me to think about you know ways I could improve and learn from others. So I joined something called the Entrepreneur Organization, 
And there I learned about efficient meetings, interactions, uh, bonding, uh, being open, building trust in, in a small group, etc. And that eventually led me uh, into starting a company together with a, a fellow EO member, or he had started the company I joined early on, called Circles, uh, where we built a platform around um, digital peer groups, right? So finding peers online as opposed to physically. So I ended up sort of into this rabbit hole of how can you build trust and connection uh, remotely without actually being in, in person? Uh, building software for that, I became very interested in meeting facilitation, uh, trained a lot around that, that sort of groups. That eventually led me to leave circles, start my own meeting facilitation, or build my own meeting facilitation software. So I'm definitely not um, an, an software engineer by any means, but I did explore that, built the software for one year, fit kind of all the bits around that from design to um, the uh, development parts, etc. And um, after one year, I, I um, you know, was looking to either raise money, you know, start a business again and build that out. And what I ended up doing was I, I met uh, Mark Tippin, who was a facilitator or is a facilitator and also works with Mural. And he then said, hey, there's some matches around what you built in your software, what we're trying to do at Mural. Uh, it seems like it's a great fit, great, great timing. We're interested in expanding into Europe. And he introduced me to uh, Mariano, who's the CEO of Mural, and he basically said, let's think about this. You know, we're, we're raising money, we want to expand into Europe. Um, maybe we can do something together. And uh, yeah, here we are now. I've been with Mural since uh, August last year, and I'm uh, leading the, the expansion, especially on the, on the customer sites uh, across uh, all the countries in Europe. So, so that was my story. <laughs> I think what's interesting to me there and some of the things that struck me is your kind of media background and I, I've worked in digital agencies, I've owned and operated digital agencies in the past and also worked in software uh, sales and I think the, the sales process, the sales methodology is very much similar in respect to the fact that uh, it's quite evangelical, right? It's not something somebody necessarily needs in their life to function, but it's something that they need to want to have, I suppose. You need to create demand and, you know, make people feel excited about potential. Maybe if you would, just talk to us about, you know, some of the sales you're involved with and, and how you kind of teach and, and lead that methodology, obviously very much at an enterprise collaborative level. And, you know, some of the learnings you've had about, how you kind of inspire others and, and, and inspire prospect in the sales process, if you can. Yeah, so at least when it comes to my personal experience, it's very much been based around relationship building more than anything else. Uh, and uh, I guess the, another way of looking at that would be around empathy in terms of uh, understanding customer needs uh, on, on different levels uh, and then um, bridging that in a way with maybe more say uh, classical conventional sales methods whatever that might be right so we we have uh, a few that we implement in um, at, at mural um, but especially around you know we want to make sure that we we can help our customers in an efficient way in understanding their needs, etc. Um, but I like to simplify it, at least what I feel that it is the absolutely most important thing is to 
be able to create that connection and, and that understanding. And of course, all the work that we do now is you know, it's 100% uh, over video or audio, right? So that also gives you a great opportunity to uh, find those connections quickly, right? Bond with uh, the person that you're talking to, uh, use uh, the, the you know, good questions and listening and silence and other things to understand really what's going on on, on their end. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful for you. If that's what you, what you meant or if you would like me to dive into any parts of that more? No, no, I, th I think that's, I, I think that's quite, um, I think that's quite explanatory. And the, um, again, I, I think it, it really is, is quite relevant and, and prevalent now considering, um, you know, how widespread digital workplace is. Um, and from, from your story there, Renee, um, you have huge experience of kind of building remote working tools and leading virtual teams. So, um, yeah, I can absolutely see how you were a good fit for Mural and, you know, how you interacted there. Um, the, what are some of the things that people need to know, right? Say our listeners are, 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 are there and, you know, some of them kind of, it, it's, it's brand new territory for them to be, be remote, working remotely. Um, you know, at the best of times, you know, some folks don't even collaborate too well when they're actually physically in a room together, not, not to mention, you know, if, if they're remote. So kind of, how 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 can they do it better? Like, I mean, what advice would you have uh, for those people? And you know, because I do understand that you know, your mural are taking people you know from offline to online environments, and not just for video, right? I mean, you you're kind of replacing a place with space, you know, and a space where people can collaborate and listen to each other and do all kinds of things. So, I mean, tell me how you guys do that. And, you know, what are some of the top things that people need to know to do it properly or to do it well, in your view? Yeah, absolutely, John. So, uh, effectively, Mural, as you mentioned, is helping a lot of customers with replacing what used to be a physical meeting room, right? A place where you go into that room and do work together, right? But, uh, so, so, that's one thing that Mural has a software, which is a digital collaboration space that lets you very quickly, in real time, solve problems together, your brainstormings, etc. cetera. Uh, you can think of it as a, a digital whiteboard with uh, superpowers to some degree, right? facilitation features and templates and so forth. But a lot of that- and is there is, actually a whiteboard, you know, like on, in, in your platform on the software where you can write stuff virtually on a whiteboard as though it was a whiteboard? Right, so the, the, the mural is essentially a digital whiteboard, right? So you can take notes, uh, sticky notes, um, dragging images and links and so forth. But when it, it becomes really interesting, um, we look at two aspects. So one is all the things you can do with all that content that you put into the platform. So ways you can uh, look for patterns, organize the content, right? You can take um, a long list of um, Excel uh, cells, for example, copy them, paste them into Mural and, and convert them into sticky notes and organize them. And you can pull in uh, any of our frameworks. We have uh, hundreds of templates and tens of uh, different frameworks, like a business model canvas, for example, uh, or uh, idea prioritization matrix or risk uh, evaluation, etc. And you can organize these sticky notes in real time together with other people, or build upon them, add more 
uh, duplicate them, etc. So a lot of that is incredibly efficient compared to, let's say, if you were to set up a, a, a physical workshop, right? You'd have a, people coming, flying in, doing a physical workshop together, where they would have to, uh, you know, do all the prep work, right? Set up the room. Apart from everything that includes, you know, just getting people to the location, right? But you set up your room, you have the pen and paper, uh, sticky notes, etc. There's a lot of um, elements that by going digital, you simplify that process, right? And we can go back to sort of the, the value of, of, of that in a minute. Um, but there's a, that is the sort of the practical efficiency side of it. So that will lead me sort of into the value of uh, remote work and some of the things that I've learned about remote work is that we focus very much on the facilitator, right? On the person that will be leading that workshop or will be leading that meeting or is simply the person that is, has gathered people together to solve a problem. Uh, so we have um, an entire team, a facilitation team, on the engineering side, as well as on the uh, uh, actual facilitator team of people that are helping our customers to become better facilitators or supporting them in their meetings. We have an engineering team that are, in a sense, obsessing around how can we build software that will help these humans, these people, have more interesting and engaging uh, meetings. Right? So it's not only about, let's say, the efficiency gains, it's also about how can we use technology and what we've learned about what makes for a great meeting and build software that will help for that. Right? So there's things such as uh, you can uh, have everyone on that board, right? There will be, their mouses will, will navigate across the canvas. You can summon everyone and drive their attention to a specific part in, in the canvas, right? So you get people really engaged uh, um, and get everyone to focus on one specific activity. You can time box things, you can really quickly vote, etc. It's a very engaging way of running a meeting, right? Because we're, we're, we're moving away from, you know, a meeting where maybe one person is talking, especially if you're thinking in a digital context, right? One person will be talking uh, at the time. When you do a meeting using Mural, you can have 20 or 30 or 40 or you know, even more people creating content and engaging at the same time, right? But what's important, I'll take a step back, right, to, to answer your question around you know, remote work is that the person that is leading that meeting will have certain challenges around how do I keep my, my uh, team or my colleagues engaged? Uh, how can I understand what's going on with the people that are in this virtual space? You know, make sure that I can, you know, beyond just getting, uh, making it really, really efficient, right? how can I make this engaging? How can I bring out the best of people? and um, a big part that uh, we, we are also building for within Mural and something that I'm particularly passionate about is, you know, what makes for a really uh, great virtual meeting uh, beyond, you know, the efficiency side of things. So I'll take a break there. Uh, <laughs> happy to no, explore uh, that listen, further. Uh, that's very comprehensive. It sounds like I need um, a subscription of Mural and maybe Ross too. It, it, um, yeah, I, 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 that was a very good explanation and I could actually visualize um, what you were talking about there and I can really get why, you know, um, you guys are being used across thousands of universities in, in, in the US, for example, and, and I also know that you're 
pretty much in the top 20 universities in, in, in Europe as well. I, I could see the use case um, in, in those type of environments. So what, what's your sweet spot, um, it, you know, in, in terms of the types of organizations that um, you target, in terms of the types of organizations that could really get value? I could see every company could get value from this, but what's, what's really, where are you seeing the most success? Yeah, so Mule has a bit of a different startup story than ma many other companies, I think. Uh, so the founders of Mule, uh, three Argentines that uh, created a gaming company, they ended up selling that company to Disney. One of the founders moved to San Francisco, and they were thinking about, you know, what's next? Uh, what are some of the projects that we could be doing? And they realized that it was incredibly hard to build games remotely. Right, with two people in, San, in, in Buenos Aires and, and one person in San Francisco. So they ended up exploring this idea of a visual space where they could kind of map out what this game could possibly be about. Right? So software for just visualizing uh, or getting an overview of different components and elements of um, what the, the product could be about. Um, and as they did that, they eventually got introduced to someone at IDEO who uh, offered them, uh, they got essentially incubated if, um, at IBO, IDEO in San Francisco. And eventually they met Phil Gilbert, who is and was the head of design at IBM. And Phil Gilbert had this vision that IBM had to become ideally become more design focused, right? You couldn't hire, couldn't afford to hire uh, lots of more designers, but he wanted to give it a go to make IBM as more focused on a, a customer centric focus and using design thinking as the method for that. And design thinking is a highly visual process, right? So they had the challenge of how do we actually do this at scale with 380,000 employees? And they ended up taking a big bet, I guess you could say, and um, using Mural for that. Right? So the Mural team, and talking about seven, eight years ago, um, you know, started building out the product to help IBM scale design thinking across uh, several um, tens of thousands of people. Right? And currently, there's uh, hundred thousand people, more than hundred thousand people that have used Mural at IBM, and I think something like sixty, seventy thousand people that are using Mural every single week. So now it goes way beyond, you know, design thinking. Right? So it's it's basically a space where we can map out solutions together right, in real time. And uh, depending on your problem and your challenge, right, you can imagine the use cases are endless. So a lot of agile teams that are struggling with finding ways to replace the physical uh, scrum boards that they would have on the wall somewhere or realizing that you know my team is spread out in different locations just holding up the webcam to them and show them the boards they can see the bar that doesn't work well you know making that plus plus you integrate with some of the tools they use right like github and you know jira and slack those kind of tools yeah, so integrations and ecosystem is, it's always about how can you make sure that the work that you do in one place can be continued somewhere else, and vice versa. Right? So, so building out an ecosystem is a very important part of what we do as well. As you mentioned, there's integration with uh, Jira and other tools from Atlassian. Uh, Atlassian is also one of our customers. 
Um, so yeah, this this a big part of uh, this shift that that you mentioned is as well, right, John? That uh, we're going from having a physical space where we go into a room and do work together, and now that's being shifted over towards a digital space. Uh, and uh, yeah, different teams find different usage of this space. And, and uh, you're right, we work with a lot of university, but uh, also with around 40% of the largest companies in the world. Wow, and that, that's a very interesting um, um, story, the, the kind of genesis of Mural and kind of how it came to be. And I, I, I can absolutely see the, um, I, I, I can see how, how that um, w would have evolved, particularly with uh, such a large organization like I, IBM. Um, great, um, great company to be able to, uh, to test and iterate um, using a base like that of, you know, 400,000 odd um, uh, people, you know. I yeah. spoke to you before, yeah. Renee, and I know that you believe in, in leadership by partnership. And um, I'm curious in terms of the, uh, your current organization that, that you run now, your, your current business um, across Europe. Um, talk to me a little bit about the key steps um, in building your team and kind of take yourself back you know, to this time last year when you joined the company, how many people did you have at that stage and how many people do you have now? And, you know, how did you build your team and what steps did you use? That kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So as a company, I joined uh, in August last year, we were about 80 people and we're looking at ending this year with around 300 people right, globally. So this is not only Europe. Uh, in, um, in terms of the work that we're doing, um, expanding and bringing on people and and um, if I stay a little bit with this idea of the partnership which is something that I find to be particularly interesting but I spend a lot of time thinking about leadership uh, you might have have read this yourself or, or, or heard the story but there was an article I think in Harvard Business Review from uh, a consultant uh, who helps companies with leadership Right. And his son came home from school and said, Dad, Dad, I've been the class leader today. And he said, oh, that's wonderful, my son. So, so what have you been doing then today as a leader? Oh, I got to hold the door open for everyone else as they went out. And the author goes on to basically say, wow, that was the best definition of leadership, of modern leadership he'd ever heard. Right. And that really resonated with me right up until this moment now this was a few years ago since i've got that so i think a lot about what does that really mean of being able to hope to open the door for other people right to make it possible for them to do the job that they need to do to empower and enable others um and i'm particularly interested in you know as we hire as i add more people to my team which is mainly around the go-to-market team uh, to see, you know, what kind of leaders um, have they thrived with in the past? Right, to explore that as we do interviews, so to figure out what kind of leadership, you know, can 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 I provide that kind of leadership for them if they would report to me? Uh, and how can we adopt this in organization to make sure that you know everyone gets what they need, right? Someone that can open the door for them and make this possible. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's uh, we, we, as an organization, we're very value driven, and uh, one of our key values is to make others successful. I think that resonates a lot with, the, with that story as well. I think for me, um, 
that really typifies what I would call servant leadership. So um, holding the door open is really what you're doing is you're, you're uplifting, you're enabling, you're kind of encouraging, etc. So your, your job is not to be their boss or their manager. Your job is to enable them with the tools and the psychological mindset to actually be successful themselves. And um, so I, I fully support that as well. And, and one of the things that's kind of struck me here as we're, as we're talking, uh, Renee, is the fact that with a tool like uh, Mural, it really opens up employment opportunities. And what I mean by that is, like, all of us are physically um, located here in Ireland um, in single focus talent. And we had an office, which we no longer need, um, quite honestly, because we all work remotely. But now, and, and, and as you probably know, you know, Ireland as a platform has built its kind of operations and its tax base, or its low corporation tax on the premise that all the employees will come here from all over Europe. And, um, you know, that's that's may not no longer be the case. I mean, it, it may be the case that people will um, forever work from home, etc. And I'm, I'm curious to see how governments um, react to that, quite frankly, because I think we're um, we've, we've had a catalyst now with COVID-19 and an and unintended consequence of enabling folks to um, be more autonomous and work from home with digital platforms and um, certainly in the tech space and I'm curious to know like what kind of conversations are you having with prospects and customers where you know you're saying well actually with our platform you know you're entirely location independent and it opens up a bigger talent pool like how does that narrative look for you guys at Mural? So definitely internally it's uh, something that is very natural for us to be able to work remotely and of course, our product helps our customers to do the same thing as well. I can give you an example of that. Uh, when it comes to, to talent acquisition, I think that's, that's been very clear for a lot of tech companies based in San Francisco specifically, uh, that um, a lot of people started questioning why would they live in a specific place, which is, is so expensive and has a lot of tax around sort of commuting and, and so forth, right? where they could actually do the same um, job from somewhere else less expensive with higher life quality right it could be true for many places in the world um, and so our take on that is we, we we're clearly just looking for the best fit right the the, the, the right person for the job uh, and independent of where they are at and uh, solving for that by having other processes in place and many of them around efficiency and you know making sure that we can do the best work together and that we can support our customers and build our product and so forth uh, another part which kind of brings us back a little bit to challenges around remote work is around how we can get people to feel connected and as um, a part of something. Right? One of the biggest pain points with remote work is that people feel isolated, feel disconnected. Um, and um, yeah, so as a company, we're solving for that by spending a lot of time on. Uh, warm-up exercises and activities in, in our all-hands meetings that are you know, bringing things more to a personal level and uh, uh, laughter and you know, trying to make it fun and engaging and you know, sharing stories and, and so forth and having very, very active Slack channels that are also about you know, music or life or things that are going on. So there's a, a few things. But taking that serious, we have a person on, on our team, uh, Lila, who uh, is very much dedicated to making sure that we live those values and that uh, we build a culture of collaboration and, and engagement. Um, 
And then I've just pointed out something more related to how Mule as a, as a, as a software helps companies solve for this. So yeah. uh, we work with uh, EY, um, their wave spaces, digital innovation spaces. Um, since a few years are essentially powered by Mural, you know, they, they have these beautiful spaces, invest a lot of money in technology, and they have these huge uh, touch screens uh, where they bring in customers and they sort of um, wow them about you know, their studies around the future, etc. And they kind of migrated from PowerPoints that were very linear to this immersive storytelling. This was very much a partnership project between Jim Callback, our head of customer experience, based in New Jersey and uh, EY in New York. And this has since been rolled out to, uh, if not all, but many of the EY wave, wave spaces across the world. Now, what was interesting, I thought, you know, that they would give this experience to the customers in those uh, physical places, right? And then everyone went home one day in March. Right? And EY could, because of having everything in the cloud, continue that immersive storytelling experience seamlessly. Right? It already existed in the cloud, it was already enabled. Right? So uh, many other consultancies struggled a lot saying, okay, we have to deliver value to our customers. And we do that through workshops, we can't travel anymore. Right? Yeah. So, so I suppose that's kind of, that's, that's making me curious then in relation to some of the industries that um, kind of lean themselves into this. So, and um, the obvious one is, uh, are some of the ones we've spoken about, like you, you spoke about gaming as the inception of the company. Uh, we spoke about technology, but EY um, wouldn't strike me as one that would be potentially remote. And I know we're speaking to a lot of customers and clients at the moment where they're um, actually, like yourselves, where you're enabling others to go through that digitization because as I say, COVID and Corona has been a catalyst to that. But maybe could you share with us some industries that kind of have surprised you that came to you and said, hey, I think this is a fit for us that wouldn't have traditionally been in that realm? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know if I, I haven't necessarily been personally that surprised because we, we just realized that you, you've probably said, seen this uh, meme going around where, you know, what drove the little transformation in your company, A, the CTO, B, the CIO, C, COVID-19, right? And that is literally what we lived or continue to experience, I should say, with so many different customers, right? There's just a huge drive towards we as a company, as an organization, need to very quickly um, become more agile in the way that we collaborate in a virtual setting. Because we may or may not be able to go to an office, but for sure there will be customers and partners that will not wish to travel for a very long time. Right? So we need to look at this uh, in a much more, uh, from a much more digital perspective. Right? So there are a large amount of companies, you know, the majority it seems like, but surely thousands that are looking at, you know, how do we go digital with this? This, um, this way of working, this way of interacting. So yeah, I haven't really been surprised. It's just been you know, overwhelming over the last three or four months to see the interest that we've had. You know, we've tried to really you know, help as many customers as possible to do this transition. And this is a big part of what we do at Mural as well, where yes, we build software, 
uh, but we, we're also incredibly focused on partnership with our customers in terms of helping them going through this, this shift. So it's not only about use a piece of software, but it's also about how can we help you take some of the existing processes and you know the challenges that you have um, and help you transform the way you work, make it you know, a more agile way of working. We do workshops and webinars around that as well, uh, apart from sort of the basics of you know how do you run a PI planning for agile teams online. Yes, that's one thing. But it's also about how do you um, make the best out of this shift that's happening and that you're to some degree forced to do. Yeah. So Renee, um, you know, high level leaders like, like yourselves, like yourself look at all kinds of um, kind of key metrics, you know, to kind of get a health check on their business and, and, and stuff like that. What are the key metrics you look at on, on a daily or weekly basis to inform you that you're, you're on the right track? I, from my experience, most um, SaaS businesses, right, cloud-based software as a service businesses, uh, you know, we look at many of the similar metrics, which is essentially how much new revenue are we signing up, how many signups do we have, uh, how, what's our churn rate, you know, how do we convert new leads into become customers, right, and, and having all the different teams to, to support that. Uh, but yeah, you know, monthly recurring revenue or annual recurring revenue, those are metrics that are important for any, any SaaS business. Cool. And what, what are some of the challenges you're facing in growing the business right now? I'll give you an example. Yeah. You know, so some people yeah. might say, well, you know, the quality inbound leads isn't great. Or, you know, some people might say, well, you know, there, there's a bit of role corruption. You know, I, I'd rather my, my inside sales guys just focus on selling rather than, you know, qualifying up um, deals or whatever. Or, you know, th there's a myriad of things. But, like, what are some of the biggest challenges that, that, that you're facing in, in your business in, in terms of um, growing it? Yeah, so we have more than anything, I would say, very fortunate challenges, incredibly fortunate ones. Um, and, and one could be, you know, what do we do with all these leads that we have? Because um, it's just exploded, right? So we've been going on for quite a few years and, and had a steady growth. And, and then all of a sudden, literally everyone went home, right? And you would talk to businesses where that was a total crash for the business. And we have been so fortunate to be on the other side of that, saying for us, it was the opposite. Like the phone just started ringing off the hook and incoming leads and emails. And so you're, so you're swimming in leads over there by the sounds of things. Yeah, I, I, I heard that your business is up 15x or something like that, which is absolutely remarkable. I mean, it's similar type numbers as kind of, you know, um, Zoom or DocuSign or, or any of these guys. DocuSign actually we have a very close relationship with but um yeah that's that's incredible so probably one of your biggest challenges is getting people to be able to speak to all of these people that are interested in your stuff yeah i was going to say that the the apart from having these privileged challenges we have real challenges that, that comes with that right to your point john that uh how do we get how do we staff up quickly enough to deal with this increase in demand. Uh, so we're hiring like crazy, of course, um, trying to, <laughs> as you say, we, we, we need to add a, a lot of people. We, don't, we want to definitely hire for uh, 
the cultural fit and you know all those other um, important elements right find the right people so so yeah hiring um, building out the businesses is definitely an ongoing challenge for all of us all our different teams right we doing what we can to build out internal referral programs and um, you know working with recruiters and so forth so so yeah you're right that's a it's a big one very good um, so you personally um just a few things like what, what's the productivity tool that you couldn't live without you're you're probably using a lot of them and um the answer can't be mural so what yeah. other productivity tool are you using that you can't live without yeah so um i've added this one recently to my toolkit it's not actually a tool that i would expect to be using but this is something that is saving me a ton of hours every single month it's quite specific to our particular situation, I think, uh, which is a tool called Text Expander, and it, it it's just you know a bunch of shortcuts to answer certain questions in a specific way. And that is because I do a lot of um, I deal a lot with customers, right, a lot, and to be able to quickly uh, respond to requests and uh, communicate more efficiently, that has helped me a lot. It's a bit specific to our current situation, right? It's kind of back to this that. A lot of demand, right? How do you deal with that in an efficient way? Um, I also use Todoist personally to plan my tasks and structure my day, and that's a, a tool that I enjoy a lot. And uh, the founder of Todoist, uh, Amir, uh, used to share office with me here in Barcelona, actually. Uh, and um, his company, Doist, is also a pioneer within remote work, so learn a lot from, from him about. They managed their company completely remote since day one. Uh, but anyway, to do this is a great tool uh, for that. Um, so yeah, those would be two tools that are you know in front of me multiple times per day. Very good. I'm going to check them out actually myself. Um, who are some of your personal heroes? Um, even one will do. You know, who, who do you look up to? Who who's been one of your personal heroes, and and why do you hold them in such high regard? Yeah, so I'd go with a slightly maybe broader answer to that because I, I found that years change over time. Uh, different years are important during different periods of your life. So it was a very different thing to be uh, a young budding entrepreneur in my 30s, you know, all about sort of growth and expansion and, and uh, being, you know, on stage as a kind of trying to be the center. Right, and, and uh, so I could be, you know, you took a little kind of Steve Jobs uh, kind of here, I guess, at the time. Uh, and then becoming a father, right? I had three boys. And then you start thinking about, you know, what is it like to be Steve Jobs' son? <laughs> you know, do, do they ever get to see their father, right? Or whoever the, the person might be, or Richard Branson might would be another classical one for, for entrepreneurs. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's been an evolution. Uh, in um, yeah, when it comes to heroes and um, going through periods of more reflecting inwards and you know thinking more about you know like the typical kind of Eckhart Tolle writings of um, you know liberating yourself from uh, your thoughts right finding calmness when things are crazy and uh, so, so yeah, I'm not kind of naming any specific heroes, I guess, but I think that what I want to share is that my approach at least has always been to 
um, you know, go out and find a book as a starting point. And 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 the best example probably is that I uh, I had a period when I was um, struggling with I felt very negative basically for you know way more negative than 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 I would identify with I guess. And uh, my wife said, "Hey, I think you've been depressed for quite some time." And I said, "Maybe." <laughs> it didn't resonate with me. I feel, you know, positive person. And as I Google books to read when you're depressed, and uh, you know, found one uh, which is called uh, "Feeling Good." Um, I should remember the the, the author now. Um, anyway, I, I read that. I picked up that book, and the first thing it said: "You probably picked up this book because you're thinking you might be depressed. And if you're depressed, how depressed are you?" <laughs> And effectively, you know, it's a test in the book. Okay, you forgot I was depressed. And then it goes straight into sort of a way of solving for that. And, you know, I read the book, started reading it on, on a Sunday. And by Wednesday, I was already doing much better. So anyway, that it becomes sort of my go-to answer for heroes. You know, who wrote the book? What can I learn from them? That's incredible. And thanks for the transparency. And I know that, you know, I'm a kind of wear my heart and sleeve kind of guy. And I always tell people who probably overshare, but I suppose that's always helped me personally be, you know, kind of a better leader and, and allow my kind of team to um, gravitate towards that level of honesty and transparency. It's just the way I like to kind of um, live my life as it were, but maybe could you share with us, particularly in the context, just as we wrap up here, um, what that looks like for you remotely, culture-wise. So you mentioned about doing some exercises when you have your team meetings, etc. But how do you define the, the culture and set the tone when it's when it's a remote operation for you guys? Yeah, so by giving a space for people to, you know, being themselves, giving or I would say more than giving, it's about uh, if you um, if you act the way you are, right? You share um, your, your point of view, you know, to some degree your emotions and, uh, you know, what you're going through, et cetera, in a way that, that sets the tone, right? Um, helps others. I think another part of around that is the way you do it, right? With humor, uh, this can be you know, quite different depending on different cultures, et cetera. But I find that that part of um, just, um, being present with openness and uh, a bit of humor sets a really good tone for others to do the same. I don't know if it's it's much more complicated than that when it comes to leadership, and it it does help um, in a virtual context, right? One thing which this is so obvious to me, but it might not be for for many of your listeners, is to you know turn your video on, you know, make that into something that you do in all your meetings, right? Bond with people a little bit. I had a call today with a customer, and uh, the, the entire wall behind him was filled with guitars. Right? It was such a nice. He was a nice guy altogether, anyway. But you know, just me being able to connect around that passion of his made a huge difference for the quality of that call on a human level. I don't know if he's going to you know, end up uh, buying more or not, right? But like that kind of self-disclosure. So other customers that are you know no video on becomes directly much more formal, lot less. Um, you know, you know, high quality human connection. So, so anyway, but yeah, that, that, those are some of the learnings. I think we, we, our leadership at Mural, they do a really good job by 
uh, yeah, making a bit more fun, you know, not so serious, um, without taking any, uh, without removing, let's say the, you know, when, when there, when there's a serious message, message it still needs to be delivered in a serious fashion, right? But you can sort of offer a bit of humor and, and self distance or, you know, not taking yourself so seriously, I guess is the, a part of it. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting and I fully support that. Uh, we have uh, clients of ours where they do a, a final stage of interview remote and uh, if the camera isn't on, it's, it's fairly much a deal breaker. And um, I can see why, because you get those inflections, those personal uh, human uh, nuances that each individual personality would, would have. So I think um, the ability, as you rightly said, then to bond over that or build rapport, I think is key to um, potentially securing a, a more you know, structured um, foundational relationship going forward. So I, I've certainly uh, uh, seen that play out myself personally. Well, look, I, I really want to thank you for joining us on today's show. I mean, there's a load of key takeaways, I think, from myself that um, I can very much resonate with. So it's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you again uh, in the future. Yeah, thanks, Ross. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you, Renee. Yeah, wonderful. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.